0: on can we give it up a praise thank you Jesus thank you Amanda come on if you're here tonight you can be seated thank you worship team for the incredible job again as she was sharing from exodus 33 exodus 33 is such a loaded chapter of scripture Moses is talking to God about moving on from Mount Sinai he says look if you're not gonna go with us we don't want to go right if, if you're not going to mark us with your presence, he says, what, what's the difference between us and any other people? And God, we come into your presence tonight. We want to be filled with your presence, marked by your presence, filled with your spirit, because without it, what is our mark? Jesus, we, we love you. We praise you. And, and we thank you that, that, that when we invite you in and we ask God, please go with us, that you say yes. You gave a yes in your son and we praise him tonight. In Jesus' name, go with us into your word tonight. Holy Spirit, guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, welcome to City Life. I would like to say on this beautiful evening, but you look out the window, you realize it was a good night, whether you're at home on your couch or you're here in a pew, it's a good night to be inside and worshiping Jesus together. So welcome tonight. If you are taking notes tonight, the title of the sermon is Living on Call. Come on, note takers are world changers. If you're taking notes tonight, the title is Living on Call. And if you have your Bibles, if you're swiping on the Version app or you've got a physical Bible, you can turn to Psalm chapter 101. So it's the heart of your Bible. And, and, and as you turn there, you'll notice that when we read it, there's this steady repetition of the phrase, I will. It's like David is listing resolutions that he wants to walk in. I will do this. I will do that. And it's kind of fitting because studies have shown most New Year's resolutions last 36 days on average. And we're now on February 13th, which means most of our resolutions have gone out the window. So let me give you a chapter of the Bible full of them as we move forward in 2021. Can I get an amen? So Psalm 101 starts in verse one. David says, I will sing of your love and justice, Lord. I will praise you with songs. I will be careful to live a blameless life. When will you come to help me? I will lead a life of integrity in my own home. I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. I hate all who deal crookedly. I will have nothing to do with them. I will reject perverse ideas and stay away from every evil. I will not tolerate people who slander their neighbors. I will not endure conceit and pride. I will search for faithful people to be my companions. Only those who are above reproach will be allowed to serve me. I will not allow deceivers to serve in my house and liars will not stay in my presence. My daily task will be to ferret out the wicked and free the city of the Lord from their grip. Let's pray one more time. God, we thank you for your word. God, we pray you would speak through it because we know we're not just called to lead ourselves and our families and this church. We're called to go out into the world and free this city as it says here for you and in the name of Jesus. So I pray you would equip us, as it says in Ephesians 4, for the work of ministry that's out there. Do it in our hearts tonight through your Holy Spirit and your word. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. So what do you want to be when you grow up? It's a question, you know, we were all asked as kids. You probably got asked it. I got asked it. You probably asked a kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I think we ask it because Honestly, I think sometimes it's like, how can I relate to a six-year-old right now? And it's just like the go-to icebreaker. But I think another reason we ask it is kids truly can say some of the darndest things. Like, I think back asking this question. Somebody, a little girl told me once she wanted to be a cloud princess. I had a boy tell me Batman, right? I'm more of a Marvel guy, but I respect that. And my all-time favorite was a, a, a young man said he wanted to be Burger King. Not a manager of a Burger King, the Burger King. I don't even know what that means, but I was like, man, have it your way. <laughs> but if you would have asked me as a kid, like what I wanted to be when I grow up, my answer would have consistently, maybe, you know, I watched a movie about astronauts and for a week I'd be like, I want to be an astronaut. Consistently up through my adolescence, I wanted to be an artist. And it's funny because as I was studying this week for this sermon, I came across this survey and apparently I was born in a place for artists. I was born across the street from Plymouth Rock, was raised in New York till I was six, and this is jobs that children from six regions in the U.S. are more likely to pick than anywhere else. Apparently, my geography would have dictated, hey, be an artist. It's funny, Jesse, taking pictures here tonight, he's a killer artist, born in Pennsylvania. Did you know? (laughs) I didn't. But I was dialed in as a kid. I didn't just want to be an artist, I wanted to be a comic book artist. One, I loved comic books. So naturally... I wanted to illustrate them. And I didn't just read comic books. I read about comic books. I read magazines about comic books. And it was, as I was reading these magazines, I found out artists in that day, right, in the 90s, when Marvel was at its peak, comics were at their peak, you could draw superheroes. Mind you, just pencils. Other people ink it. Other people color it. Just draw superheroes for a living. You can make seven figures. I was like, sign me up for that, right? (laughs) Sign me up. And then, as it goes, Right as I was becoming a teenager, Marvel went bankrupt (laughs) and you could take about two zeros off of the average salary for an artist. And I was like, "Eh, maybe we'll see what else might be in my cards. And I I was reminded of this this week because I found out, you know, Marvel's back and booming because of their movies. The comic book business is back. I found out this week there is a comic book artist who sells his discarded drawings. We're talking like he drew the head, maybe half the torso in an arm. He's like, this isn't working. And what 99.9% of artists would simply throw away, because that's what you do with your discarded drawings. He sells them online for like 100 bucks in seconds. (laughs) It made me want to find a time machine and go back and find baby juice. Hey, man, stick with it, right? There's a future being a comic book artist. But, you know, I became a high schooler, and I started thinking, man, what do I want to do with my life? And I don't remember the name of the test, but there was a test when I was Maybe a freshman or a sophomore in high school, and you start thinking about the future. Jamal's not his head. Nobody ever remembers it. Maybe you do. Uh, where like they they give you a test. I think it was like your personality, what you're good at, your skills, and they try to like say, here are some careers you might be might be good at. I got two. Pilot and hairdresser. <laughs> and hey, you laugh, you laugh at hairdresser, but I actually cut Raj's hair, so maybe he was onto something, you know? But You know, it's this time in life when you're a teenager, you're coming out of your adolescence, where especially in church culture, the question, what do you want to be? Eventually it graduates to, what do you feel called to? And that hits different because what's implied when people ask you, hey, what do you feel called to? The implication is that God has a divine blueprint, a a perfect master plan for your life. And the Holy Spirit is like a divine guidance counselor that is going to help you hit the mark and find this calling. Then what happens is you grow up, you graduate, you grind. Maybe like me, you you started to do what was necessary to to build a life with your spouse. And then you're you're doing what's necessary to provide for your family. And I think if we're honest, the way we talk about calling in this culture of calling that we point to, it can often seem foggy at best at worst, altogether absent. I mean, a recent LinkedIn study showed that job hopping, going from one career to another, has doubled in the last 20 years. Finding your calling, as we talk about it, can seem complicated, mysterious, and hard to figure out. So we make our way through each day, kind of doing what needs to be done, and wondering, is this what I'm here for? right, busyness replaces soul searching, but we can live unsettled. And then you you really see this when you come up to, like, a fork in the road in your life, right, to make a huge decision, right? And when we we lean into this sense of of a specific calling, man, we can become consumed with signs. God, give me a sign, right? Maybe we're the people where we we wait for the the wave of inner peace that we can ride into the decision. Others, like we might play Bible roulette where just every morning God hit me with something, something that speaks directly to my situation because I need it. I hope all of us, at least in these situations, we pray more, right? Lean into God's presence. And if we're honest, though, I think, I know I've prayed it. God, if your calling for my life is so big, so important, so pivotal, why can it be so hard to find? And I don't want to speak for God, but I would tell you tonight that much of our concern with, with calling today, as we talk about it commonly, it does more harm than good. Because so many of our ideas about calling and what we're pursuing are often they're just shallow cultural concepts that we've covered with Christianese and, 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 and so it sounds deep. We'll get to why I say that tonight, but first, don't get me wrong. The concept of calling is in Scripture. God calls people in Scripture. We're going to look at that tonight. And some, we might point to like Psalm 139 as I'm studying. It's one of the first verses I'm thinking about where David himself, who we'll look at tonight, says, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book, Every moment laid out before a single day had passed. That's a powerful verse. But I think sometimes we can confuse and conflate God's omniscience. He knows everything with his divine will. Yes, he knows every detail of your life. right? Jesus says he knows what you're going to pray before you ask for it. right? He knows what you're about to think and do. right? It says in the Bible he knows the number of hairs on your head. But I don't think he has like a plan for the number of hairs on your head. If you're losing your hair, God bless you. I don't, you might start praying, God, do you want me to use Rogaine so I can keep the number up? Should I just shave my head? He'll probably just say, do you, do you, All Right. But then you might say, okay, well, what about people who are clearly called in Scripture? Like we're going to look at King David. He was anointed to be king not once but three times over the course of seven years. That seems like a pretty clear calling. <laughs> and it's true. I'm not saying God never has a clear call or purpose, or, 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 or season in your life that he's going to speak to. We see it with Paul on his missionary journeys. We see it with Hosea and his marriage to Gomer. We see it with Noah and the ark, Moses on his journey with the Israelites, with King David, as we'll see tonight, and others. God has specific pursuits, purposes, and calls in seasons of their life. And if you get a specific call from God, you're a fool to ignore it or run the other way. You can ask Jonah. But these are exceptions in the Bible more than they are the norm. Matter of fact, when you read like teaching and instructional portions of the Bible, like the New Testament epistles, it it seems less concerned with how you make big decisions and big steps and more concerned with, are you living daily in obedience to God and in Christ-like character? Even in David's life and his own writing, which we have a lot of here in scripture, We see that his concept of calling goes far deeper than a specific task, assignment or career, even when that career is king. Pretty big deal. And tonight I want to look at a passage of scripture written by David that I believe is drenched in just God's vision and callings on our lives. And Psalm 101, many believe, was written in the same season that he became king. These are his resolutions as a leader and king. And my favorite verse in the chapter is, it's easily the last one. It's poetic. He says, my daily task will be to ferret out the wicked and free the city of the Lord from their grip. That's, that's a cool verse. That sounds kingly. Matter of fact, when I hear that verse, though, this is what I think of, right? I picture, like, Daredevil over Hell's Kitchen or Batman over Gotham. He's saying, what's he he's saying? My daily task, right? <laughs> Chris, Christian Bale version. we be to ferret out the wicked and free the city of the Lord from their, you know. That's what I see in my head. It sounds like a superhero's calling or a mission statement, right? Green Lantern, it's DC, it's whack, but Green Lantern has a calling. In brightest day, in blackest night, no evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evils might beware my power Green Lantern's light. Maybe you're like, you're nerding out hard, buddy. Well, maybe you're a parent, you can relate to this one. My son's favorite hero's uh, uh, kind of mission statement. I am Moana of Matanui. You will board my boat Sail across the ocean and restore the heart of Tafiti. I've probably heard that seven times this week. It's probably going to be Raj's first sentence. <laughs> but I, I joke, and regardless of never, whether or not you wanted to draw them or not, I think one reason we're drawn to heroes and, and superheroes is they have a clarity of conviction, they have a clarity of calling and, and, and purpose, and, and we wrestle with this idea. man, what is my adventure, my quest? my purpose. Why, why am I here breathing? <laughs> and we might pursue that with, with careers. We might pursue the answer with relationships. But the question remains, why am I here? What is, what is my calling? It's persistent. And if I told you today that God has a clear calling for your life and your life and your life and my life, we'd probably say, yeah, sign me up, right? Because when you realize you're called, it emboldens you. It enriches your sense of purpose. And when you realize you're called, it builds daily anticipation. Again, my daily task will be to ferret out the wicked and free the city of the Lord from their grip. It's it's got an awesome ring to it. But when you look at Psalm 101, it's, it's the last verse, the final verse. And I believe the verses before it. Are the ones that are pivotal to each and every one of us, wherever we are tonight, whether you feel like you are in step with your calling or you are two miles off track, wherever you are, there are callings in this scripture for us tonight. And so often we focus on the verse 8 finish, but we're starting at the wrong place. What am I talking about? Well, let's start with verse 1, the beginning. David says, I will sing of your love and justice, Lord, I will praise you with songs. You know, for all of our callings in life, the first and foremost is always our call to Christ. Here, David, who, I mean, we talk about his calling as king. He was a shepherd, skilled musician. He was a Renaissance man before the Renaissance. And here he's talking about singing. And we're called to that again and again in Scripture. It's a command of Scripture to sing. Chris leads us in it powerfully every weekend. We get to walk that out here. But, but we shouldn't just think of worship as singing on a Saturday or a Sunday. God bless you if you do it on Sunday. But worship as defined in Romans 12 in the message version says, take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Another translation goes on to say, this is your spiritual act of worship. I mean, listen to how Paul talks about our calling in the same letter to the church in Rome. In Romans 1, 6, he says, you Romans are included among the Gentiles who have been called. Called to what? To belong to Jesus Christ. Then in Romans eight twenty eight, we get probably the most famous verse in the entire book. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. We got callings and purposes. Sounds cool. I dig it. Keep reading. Verse 30 says, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. See, calling for Paul, when you read his letters, it's not so much about some divine itinerary for the future, it's first and foremost a call from Christ to Christ in every season. We're called to Christ for reconciliation and relationship from our first breath. Till today and it's ongoing whether you've ignored it and never responded to it till now maybe you responded to it once years ago or you respond to it every morning the call is constant continual daily he's calling you tonight and again when we pray for calling we're often you know we're asking for that blueprint want that master plan and sadly when I, when we do this we can start to relate to God more as a resource than as a king It's not just any king He's the king of the universe that wants relationship with me and you. That's a big deal. But when I can become consumed with, well, what's my calling? Am I walking in my calling? I can drift into pursuing the idea of God's will over God himself. You know, Jesus puts it plainly for me and for you in John 15. He says, apart from God, you can do nothing. Before you get to walking in some calling, you better make sure you are rooted in God. You are grafted into the vine. That's the imagery here. The vine and the branches. You want fruit? Make sure you're in the vine. Because apart from God, what Jesus is basically saying is there's, there's no calling. Oh, you can do things the same way the author of Ecclesiastes did a whole lot of things. Right? More than most of us as humans will ever do in our lives. And yet like him, we'll find ultimately it's seemingly meaningless. Maybe you think I'm just talking crazy. But last week, Tom Brady reached the pinnacle of his calling as a football player, right? He put to bed any arguments last weekend that he's not the greatest football player of all time. If you have an argument, I don't even want to hear it, right? He's won championships now with two teams. And now he can say that he has won more championships as an individual, not just more than any other player, but any other franchise in NFL history. You wanna talk about somebody who, is, who has climbed the ladder of his calling and found the mountaintop, certainly it is Thomas Brady Jr. And yet a few years ago when he already had more Super Bowl rings than most players could ever dream of, he was on 60 Minutes. <laughs> he was in an interview and he said, why do I still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think it's got, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. And the interviewer went on to ask him, hey, well, what's the answer? He said, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. And I was reflecting on that conversation, right, as I'm reflecting on Brady winning yet another championship. And it also made me think of, it's a quote from Jim Carrey, who when you talk about Hollywood is climb the ladder, won awards, gotten to the top. And he once said, I, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. See, in most people's eyes, these guys haven't just walked in their calling. They beat the game, right? And yet their lives remain unsettled. It feels like in Ecclesiastes, that chasing after the wind. What are these men saying? They're saying, what our culture pursues as callings, it's not enough. Ultimately, it's hollow. What I'm saying tonight is it will be hollow and continue to be hollow if we don't respond first and foremost to the call in Scripture to Jesus Christ. I think so often God will will let me, I know in seasons of my life, feel unsettled. And for a season, I'll feel unsettled until I finally strip myself of reliance on my own agenda and my own will and actually take my everyday life and offer it back to God as as worship. I mean, think about the nights that David spent (laughs) sitting on a rock looking at some sheep, before he ever sat on the throne or the years that he was hiding in caves with outcasts before he ever held court as king. You know, think about these seasons where he must have felt like he was stripped of of agency, like he was just drifting. Like, yes, sure, they said he was going to be king, but it didn't seem like it. How many psalms of praise were written in this book in those seasons? Before David ever was king, he was already walking in this call to worship God and come to him before again he ever walked as king. It was the pastor, Casey Treat, who was leading a leadership session like a decade ago, and it's his math. Don't get mad at me, but he said Christian leadership, right? Leadership is, is 10% giftings and callings and 90% Christian living. Day-to-day love God and obey his commands. Now, admittedly, keeping God's commandments it's not always easy, but I, I love the way that David keeps it real in the Psalms. He says, I'm gonna need some help on this. And it points to the second calling we see in Psalm 101. I will be careful to live a blameless life. When will you come to help me? You know, I I alluded to the fact that again and again, our New Year's resolutions fail within like 36 days. And studies show that the reason this happens is because so often we want to take a a massive step. (laughs) We take too big of a bite. And we want to get to like the end when we should just start with a baby step, right? Or just, just take a simple step in that direction. And in light of all that, you might be like, why is this my resolution then? Because living a blameless life sure seems like a big bite, <laughs> more than I can chew. But it's why David asks, when will you, God, come to help me? I think sometimes we picture our call as it comes in monumental moments in our life. But there are those moments, right? Not just where we have to choose the right path at a massive fork in the road, but we also have a daily call to a higher standard. Because before calling becomes what we do, God is concerned with who we are, our character. We think of calling as what we're going to eventually do over the horizon, but God is concerned with the who. See, heroes in life, many of the leaders in our lives, they weren't made overnight overnight. Right? There were patterns and habits in their lives. We want the Captain America treatment where we just get the injection and bam, there we are. We wouldn't say we want the, the, the gamma radiation and all that other stuff that gives you superpowers, but we want to skip ahead. But the crucible of character in life is often the seemingly small and the mundane. It's the unseen and the unsung again and again over and over that ultimately will shape us and shape our character. Maybe it's why, again, when you read the New Testament, it it doesn't talk about how to make big decisions in terms of your calling as much as it's concerned with, are you day-to-day trying to look more like Christ? Are you day-to-day living faithfully and obediently? Right? What we say, what we look at, what we listen to daily and moment by moment, is it obedient? Are we being careful to live a blameless life with Christ-like character? Our ultimate call is less about finding something, and it's about becoming someone, becoming Christ-like no matter where we find ourselves, right? Not just where you work. I believe God's more concerned with how you work, not just where you live, but how you live. You know, the tragedy would be if we spend our whole lives waiting for a specific calling to come over the horizon, but when it finally comes, we're not ready because we haven't been living obedient to our daily calling to become a person of character and integrity. You know, the author Elizabeth Elliot once asked, does it make sense to pray for guidance about the future if we are not obeying in the thing that lies before us today. Often we wait for the, the big things in life and we forget the weight of small things. Small things are weighty. Little things shape us. I don't know if you remember the movie The Patriot. I don't, I don't blame you if you, do, if you don't. <laughs> it was like a, a B-grade sequel to Braveheart, but Mel Gibson's character, instead of fighting for freedom in Scotland, it was the American Revolution. And, uh, I don't remember much of the movie, but there's a scene that's famously known as the tomahawk scene because of what he does with a tomahawk to the redcoats who would kill one of his sons and try to take another captive. But before this ambush, before this raid, he turns to two of his other young sons that are right next to him. He gives him a real quick, brief pep talk. One of the things he says is, aim small, miss small. I was young when I saw him. I didn't know what that meant, right? But aim small, miss small. He's talking to his sons about where to aim. Because if you aim for the man, especially with those rifles back then that, you know, shoot in every which direction, or you aim for the man, you might miss the man. But if you aim for the button on that red coat and you miss the button, you got a better chance of still hitting the man. Aim small, miss small. Why on earth do I share this? Because when do we often miss the mark in life? It's when we forget the weight of small things. Things that seem small often aren't small at all. Like, I want at the end of my life to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Let God that etch etch that on my tombstone, like he etched those words with the Ten Commandments. I want to be faithful to where I hear that from God. Well done, good and faithful servant. But that's not the totality of what he said. It's like just pointing to verse 8 in Psalm 101. We should see what surrounds it. And it doesn't read, well done, good and faithful servant, because you toppled the biggest giant and won the biggest victories. It says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling the small amount. One translation reads, because you were trustworthy in a small matter. The small stuff matters. What seems small is is not small at all. And what does he give those servants that were faithful in the small matter? He hires them to do more. In Luke's version of the parable, he makes them governors over cities. He hires them as, as leaders. And I share this because you look at character versus skills in life. Right, and how we hold them in our culture. In the hiring process, what matters is skills. It's major. But what can help you lose your job? <laughs> your whole platform crumbles. You lose your marriage and your family, it's your character. This is what's so backwards in so much of our leadership and the way we look at callings and alike. because we know what'll make us tumble, but we so often don't focus on it until it's already crumbling. Man, I tell you, many of the great leaders and and kings crumble not because of challenges that prove too large, but because they forget the weight of small things. Look no further than church culture recently where we've seen a disorienting dose of of failings from prominent figures, from the the face of Christian apologetics to a a pastor of a huge church. I'm not here to diagnose what happened to these people walking on platforms bigger than anything I, I will ever walk on. But I do think the look in the mirror that that I'm drawn to is a healthy one because I don't want to just say and do good things, right? I want good character. I don't just want giftedness. I I need godliness, right? And King David, he had his own failings, and yet we read of him in Acts 13, 36, he served God's purpose in his own generation. I'm like, how? (laughs) Didn't you see what he did with Bathsheba, her husband, the murder, the lies, right? Isn't he a massive hypocrite for the sins that he committed? No, he would have been a massive hypocrite if he held others to that standard and not himself. Or if he said he did all these things but didn't admit when he failed. But you read Psalm 51. He fell. He realized it. He got up. He fell. He realized it. He pressed onward in his calling. One of those calls to keep pressing on towards a a life of character and integrity. God isn't looking to call perfect people, thank goodness. But he is looking to call people who will lean into this call to live holy and Christ-like lives. And one of the places we do that, it's the third call, the call to home. David said, I will lead a life of integrity in my own home. I will refuse to look at anything vile or vulgar. Now, to me, this speaks about, in one way, what's public and what's private. Even when we're out of the public spotlight, God still sees. Some of us would probably confess something along the lines of, I don't have time to think about my calling. I'm just trying to make ends meet and support my family. Let me remind you, that is a calling. That is a high calling. And I think we so often forget that life is full of complementary callings, many of which are happening at the same time. And we can't let this one be one of the ones we neglect. The activist Dorothy Day once said, everybody wants a revolution, but nobody wants to do the dishes. You know, Joshua had the calling of leading an entire nation of God's people into the promised land. One of the most revolutionary calls in all of scripture for an individual, and yet the most famous words out of his mouth in the Bible are, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. No matter what our calling is out there in the world, we have to get it right at home. I'm 100% unapologetic that if, if, even with my work as a pastor, if it ever gets in the way of my calling as a father and husband, I'll have peace laying it down. I mean, get transparent. You look at the direction of the the past 12 months, us coming back to Newport News, coming together as a campus. I put things down to make sure I'm home for this crazy season in our family's lives. And, And for me, I'm not walking conflicted because I don't think I'm walking away from the calling. I'm walking towards a central, core, consistent and key calling in my life to my family and my spouse. See, David was a warrior who led an entire nation into battle again and again. This is a man who would pursue a lion or a bear if it attacked his sheep. This is a man who would run at a giant in defense of God's people. And this is a man who shrunk back when it came time to lead his own family. I remember as a youth pastor, I was a youth pastor for years before anything else. And there was a time where I just sat down. I went through my roster, my list of kids that were in the youth ministry, around 100 at that time, on this list. And Half of them, half of them were in a single parent home. Half of them didn't have one of their parents at home. It was around this time there was a a study done. The study was on dogs, but there was just this throwaway statistic in there that a kid in this region was more likely to have a dog in his home than his father. Man, if you're married, (laughs) your marriage to your spouse, outside of our call to God, it is a premier calling in your life. Your call to your kids is a paramount purpose in your life. And the greatest gift you can give them is your marriage. And maybe you aren't working in e- walking in either of those callings. I, can, I was writing this chapter down in my journals years before when I was still a bachelor. David doesn't say anything about who he's at home with. But he does say, hey, when, it, when I'm in private, when I close that door, God, I'm committed to you. The home, I love the idea of it being like a school of love. Where you you learn that life is bigger than me, myself, and I, and my needs. Kids learn quick, right? You're born, you're like, everybody serve me. But as you spend time in your home, you realize, no, no, life is bigger than me. It's like a vineyard of love where the fruit is, is learning to love and serve others. Whether it's roommates, a spouse, kids, whatever. Song of Songs 215 says, catch all the foxes. Those little foxes, before they ruin the vineyard of love for the grapevines, are blossoming. In this analogy of the vineyard of love, we have to be faithful in chasing the little foxes. So before we go out on conquests and callings to slay dragons or whatever it may be, let's be faithful in chasing and catching those little foxes that would infiltrate our home, our marriages, our parenting, our relationships, even our character. The enemy daily makes war. And he knows one of our strongholds is our home. That's why David resolved and refused to look at anything vile or vulgar in his home. He rejected perverse ideas and stayed away from every evil in his home. Before we get to freeing the the city of the Lord or the nation we're in, let's keep our homes free and keep ourselves faithful. And yet there's one more call that we can't forget before we get to verse 8. It's a call to community. David says, I will search for faithful people to be my companions. And he spends a lot of other verses on who won't be his companions. If you slander folks, if you're prideful, you're a liar, you, you're not going to hang out with me. <laughs> Matter of fact, if you look at this chapter, he ends up spending half of the eight verses on the company you keep. And it shows how crucial community is to calling. We are called to community. And yet this runs counter to so much of what we think about with calling in our culture. Because if we're honest and we really peel it back, so much of what we talk about with calling are, are individualistic self-help tips that we cover with Christian cliches. And don't get me wrong. Ambition is not a bad thing. It is a good thing. Matter of fact, it's just the other side of the coin with humility. When the disciples said they wanted to be great, indicated they wanted to be great, Jesus didn't say bad. <laughs> Peter, get behind me again, Satan. Right? Like y- Y'all better turn or burn. No, he says, okay, you want to be great? Here's how. Become a servant of all. Have some humble ambition, right? Ambition and humility, they're they're not opposite each other. Ambition isn't some bad thing. Jesus simply says, hey, you want to be great? Serve everybody. You can't do that outside of community, both in terms of the people you reach and the impact you'll have when you lock arms with other like-minded people. You know what's so incredible? Let me nerd out one last time. What's so incredible about the, the Marvel franchise that they had for like 10 years is even when you thought you were just watching one movie about uh, one hero doing some stuff over here, they always tied it into some later movie where all of them are gonna come together and do something even bigger and greater. It's this idea that what we do alone and in private is ultimately laying the foundation for greater things we're gonna do in community. This whole idea Fred was preaching about two weeks ago, greater things being the the unity we walk in. Yeah, we got a call in our home, Our family is a foundation in our lives. But I would tell you, man, friendships set the trajectory. Your community is going to help set the trajectory. And from our call to Christ to our call to reach the world, biblically, you're not going to find a calling to Christ or or, or from Christ that doesn't tether you to the body of Christ. I mean, I once heard it said, don't go out into the world to change the world until you've stayed in one place long enough for God to change you. File that as anonymous. I don't remember who said it. But when we think of David, right, what do we immediately go to? David and Goliath. David marching out into the battlefield, <laughs> mano a mano, one-on-one, toppling this foe and unlocking his destiny. But what was David's destiny? What was his calling? To lead a nation into many bigger battles. And he could never have walked out that destiny walking onto those battlefields alone. And he had Jonathan early on, he was was closer than a brother. But then when Jonathan even passed, spoiler alert, Jonathan dies, David has his his group of mighty men. And I share that because so often when we plot the course of our lives, we chase callings, we try to map out our future, we often pay attention to, to factors like job and income, a city or a place to live. And sometimes if we're not careful, people and community can become replaceable like a commodity. And do we have to move away, right, and pursue different callings in different seasons of life and say goodbye to some communities and, and yes to a, and hello to another? Absolutely. But we're continually called to find Christian community no matter what calling or season we're walking in. In life, we go about evaluating opportunities. We should just as much or more be evaluating our relationships and our community because we can spend so much time in our life trying to find ourselves, but we'll never truly find ourselves as much as we need to until we find our community. I think it was Jeannie Mayo who once said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. But you want another call in scripture, the call to reconciliation in 2 Corinthians 5.20. Not just vertically with God, that comes first, right? But with others, horizontally. It encompasses both our call to Christ and our call to community. And then the the call in verse eight to go out and, and, and spread God's freedom in the world. This is where we get to the cool verse, the exciting verse, right? Freeing the city, introducing the world to the freedom in Jesus Christ. Again, it's like Pastor Fred was preaching two weeks ago. We want unity. We want relationship with people that maybe look like us, maybe don't look like us, or think like us, or vote like us. We want to find unity, but unity's not the end. <laughs> unity, like we see Jesus pray in John 17, unity is so the world can know that God sent him. Unity is so we can go out as a family unit and, and minister To the world, bring reconciliation, bring renewal, bring justice, bring peace. We're called to be ministers of reconciliation. And I I would tell you, this isn't the front lines of ministry. You read Ephesians 4:12, this is where we get equipped and filled with the Spirit, so we can go out to the front lines of ministry, out in the world, where we are reconciled with God, but we're also reconciling with one another. No matter what your job or your calling or profession is. And I don't say that to the minister career or your station in life. I don't say all this to avoid prophetically pinpointing. Maybe God has a purpose in your life specifically in this season. But to close, I think we can get so fixated on finding God's will for our life, which isn't a bad thing, but we can become so fixated on that that we forsake the Holy Spirit's leading today. David asked the question of God, when will you come and help me? You might ask that question, We don't have to ask that question, right? The Holy Spirit lives in us. Galatians 5, 16 and 25 says, I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Again, we can get so fixated on what's God's will for, for years from now, we can't forsake the Holy Spirit's leading for today. I think one of the reasons we're so drawn to this idea of calling is because if we're honest, it can serve as a crutch that helps us avoid obeying what God has for us right now. It's so easy because meditating on what God may or may not want from you years down the road is a lot less demanding than asking God, hey, what do you want from me right now? That's a dangerous question. You might get an answer. But what you do right now, how you respond to these four calls today, this week, right? That's what's gonna get you where you need to be next year. What what God's gonna say about your life when it ends. That's where I'll get where I need to be, period, right? Where do I want to be in life? Again, I want to be in verse 8, freeing the city from the grip of evil. Sounds cool. I want to be uh, uh, somebody that God says, well done, good and faithful servant. I want like David somebody to say, I fulfilled the purposes of the Lord in my generation, but I'm not going to meet the callings of God in my life if I'm not obedient to these calls to walk in every day. If I let these four central callings Drift off to the margins, I'm never going to hit the mark with my life. I'll never hit bullseye in my generation. But we're going we're gonna to go into worship. But one last question. Anybody have a job where you're on call? Like a, a job where you're on call. David last throws his hand up a little bit because like a, an on call job just means when you get a call from your employer or a client, you're going to work. <laughs> right? And let's be honest. One of the reasons I wanted to be an artist coming up, I loved art, I love comics, but I'm an introvert. Being an artist is an introvert's paradise. Right, Never interrupt an artist, just go off, draw stuff all day. Ministry is much more on-call. Maybe not by definition, but there's, a, there's this idea of on-call work, having a job that's on-call. And I share that because I don't want us to live so consumed with a call that might be over the horizon, that it costs us the, the reality that we're living on-call every day. You are called. You're called to Christ You're called to character, being Christ-like. You're called to your home. You're called to community. And then ultimately we're called to go out as a community and change the world. But again, as we talked about in the opening, when you realize you're called, it emboldens you. So my prayer is that we will walk this week with renewed boldness, not paralyzed in moments of decision, but, but confident in Christ. When you realize you're called, it builds daily anticipation. So my prayer is that we'll walk this week in a daily purpose and focus, not just on what may be one day, but on what God is calling us to each day. And we're going to step into a moment of worship. We're going to have some time for prayer. And if you want prayer for any one of these areas, man, we want to pray for you. But Let's close where we started in verse 1. Verse 1 of Psalm 101 said, I will sing of your love and justice, Lord, I will praise you with songs. And Jesus, we praise you tonight because you don't just call us to you. God, you don't just call us into your presence. Jesus, you died to make a way. You didn't just say, hey, come to me, good luck. No, it says in Romans 5, while we were still sinners, you came and died for us. You tore the veil. God, you opened the door so that when we hear your call to come to you, we don't have to think how. We don't have to think, how could I? No, God, we we thank you that when we, it says in James, Forward. When we draw near to you, you draw near to us. The prophet Jeremiah said when we seek you with, with all our hearts, that we'll find you. And God, I pray tonight that we would recognize your call again. Specifically, our call to you. Our call to worship you and praise you for your love and your justice. So Jesus, tonight, let's stand. We praise you again we worship you in this place. Jesus, we thank you. We love you. We want to glorify you. Equip us to do just that in Jesus' name.